My hope with Billy Graham is going to be in November and Great Hills Baptist Church. We have already become a training center for this massive evangelistic outreach. We have trained many uh, pastors in the area. I have gone through the training and I'm going to get to train you in two weeks from today. Right after the service, we ask you to sign up and let us feed you a little bit of lunch and then we're going to move right into this amazing evangelistic outreach that it's really oikos evangelism. Oikos is the Greek word for home, and I can't wait to share with you. And we're going to do this on two different occasions. I'll, sh I'll teach you once in June and another time in July as we ramp up and move toward November, which is going to be an awesome day in the life of our country. As Billy Graham's going to preach his last sermon, and it's going to be broadcast all over America, and we're going to have homes open and available for our lost friends and neighbors to come and hear the gospel. As I listened to that, um, that video, I, I don't know if you heard the statistics that this lady gave. And I've, I've written them down because I want you to hear these statistics because it just illustrates so much how many people in our culture, in our day, are, are suffering and struggling. Seven out of a hundred deal with depression. Seven out of a hundred deal with abuse. And they are addicted to alcohol or, or drugs, 14 are absolutely encased in fear. Eight out of a hundred people that live in your neighborhood are struggling with a job loss. Three are grieving the death of a loved one. And 60, as she said, 60 out of a hundred, which I think is even higher in our great city, 60 out of a hundred do not have a personal relationship with Christ. And so we're going to be talking about that in the next few really weeks and months. But today I want to share a message with you out of 1 Peter chapter 4, and the title of the sermon is A Proper Perspective on Suffering. Uh, we are studying verse by verse in this great epistle called 1 Peter. Now, we have ventured away from it because we have preached different series and had different emphases, and we will continue to do that, but this is my favorite kind of preaching, by the way. I love just to open up God's Word and go line upon line, precept upon precept, verse by verse, and share with you my heart and share with you my passion I have with the Word of God. And today, the, the subject matter is really the theme of the entire epistle. When Peter wrote these words in AD 64, he was only three years away from being martyred himself, from being crucified upside down at the hands of the neurotic emperor by the name of Nero. Nero, by the way, is responsible for the physical deaths of not only Peter, but also of Paul in AD 68. And so Peter is writing these words, and he's writing to a group of believers who are suffering, I mean suffering violently for their faith. And as I, as I read this text and as I prepared this message, I, I thought about not only do Christians, did Christians suffer then, but they have suffered all throughout the centuries. In fact, more people, more Christians lost their life in the 20th century through a martyrdom and persecution than all the other 19th centuries combined. And there are places all over this globe today, this very moment, that there are underground believers. There are people who do not have the freedom that we have to be able to come and openly worship our great God. And so this, this passage of Scripture, it is very riveting, it's very moving, and it is also very challenging. It's very, very convicting. So I'm just kind of giving you a little bit of warm-up. Get prepared and get ready to have your minds challenged and your heart challenged. And if it helps you any, I'm going to come right alongside with you because I have not arrived. I'm still in process, and the God has still conformed me and changing me. And this message today is really, I believe, it's going to challenge and convict us. 
but also it's going to give a lot of encouragement and a lot of hope to those of you who may be persecuted this very day, or you may feel like you are struggling, you may feel the odds are squarely stacked against you, and you need a word from the Word of God to bolster you and encourage you, and I think that's what you'll receive today. So it's 1 Peter chapter 4, and I'll begin reading in verse 1. And Peter writes these words, Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves. That is the primary verb in this whole narrative, in this whole pericope that we're going to study. Six verses, the main verb is arm yourselves. It is a very military word. It's, it's an imperative command. Arm yourself. Prepare yourself for battle, really. Also with the same mind is Christ, for he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of men, but for the will of God. Look at verse 2 again with me. That we should no longer live bio. It's where we get the root word biology. That our lives should no longer be lived in this lusting of the flesh, but it should be used in a way that it is for the will of God. For we have, now Peter says, we have spent past time. Now remember, he's speaking to a group of Christians. I'm talking about very dedicated, sold-out Christ followers. He characterizes their former lives with these words. We spent enough of our time doing the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lewdness and lust and drunkenness and revelries, drinking parties and abominable idolatries, in regard to these, they think it's strange that you don't run with them anymore in the flood of dissipation, and therefore they speak evil of you. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason, the gospel was preached, and the word preached there is not karux to announce, it is the word uangelizomai, it means to evangelize. The gospel was preached to those who are now dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. One of the things I love about preaching the Bible and, and books of the Bible is it forces you as a pastor to deal with difficult text. If I were to poll you today, y'all would say, Pastor, that is a difficult text. I don't know that I understand half of what you just read. Well, you're in the right place at the right time. I'm so convicted that our great, great need in church today is not to be appeased and not to be pleased and not to be told how wonderful we are and how wonderful life is and how easy life is because that's not true. Life is not easy. Life in reality entails suffering, grief, dying, death, famine, pain, disease. All of those things are, are very real in our world. And so when we come to church and we read the Word of God and study God's Word, I think it is a great dose of of reality. So today, we're going to talk about having a proper perspective on what it means to suffer. The Old Testament book that most resembles this epistle of 1 Peter is Job. Job is the dynamic corollary in the Old Testament that relates to this book in the New Testament. Just finished reading C.S. Lewis's powerful biography. It's Alistair McGrath has done a fabulous job writing on the life of one of the great champions of our faith, C.S. Lewis, the famous apologist, prolific author, former atheist, Oxford University professor, author of the 
Chronicles of Narnia and many other books. And and one of the books he wrote was called The Problem of Pain. And in this book, C.S. Lewis deals with theodicy. And you know what theodicy is. Theodicy is how can a good God allow terrible things to happen in this world? In fact, I spoke with a family member just a few days ago, totally unequivocally renounced his faith. Says, I'm no longer a Christian. I don't even know if I believe in God anymore because how can a good God allow this to happen to my loved one and allow that to happen to my loved one? I can't serve a God like that. Well, C.S. Lewis, he he grasped that angst and that pain, and he wrote a book called The Problem of Pain. And in it, it is a powerful theoretical, theological treatise on how to deal with suffering. He talks about things like Genesis 3, we live in a fallen world. And because this is a fallen world, horrible things happen. Number two, he talks about how Christ entered into our fallen humanity, and and he suffered and he endured great pain. Well, all of that is fine and well until 1960. In 1960, C.S. Lewis's wife, Joy Davidman, died at the age of 45 of cancer. He began to doubt his faith. He was thrown in a tailspin. He didn't know if he was going to come out of this, this great champion of orthodoxy and theology who'd written powerfully on theodicy. He says, I don't really know if I'm coming out of this great fog. But he did. He came out and he wrote a book called A Grief Observed. And it is a powerful book about the reality of suffering and pain. I'm so tired of us in Christendom today to pretending in church that we're okay, that everything is okay. Guys, things aren't okay. And it's okay to know that things aren't okay. That's why we come together and we, we worship a real God and we study a real book and we have our faith bolstered and encouraged and blessed because we are torn down and we are persecuted and we do have doubts and we do have worries and we do get depressed and despondent. And God says, I know that. And when you come together to meet me in corporate worship, I want you to worship me with your heart, but I also want you to think deeply and profoundly and worship me with your mind. And that's what we're going to do today. We're going to worship God with our mind. And we're going to, some of y'all are going, dude, I didn't get enough sleep last night for this sermon. I should have slept. My, honey, can we go get another cup of coffee and come back and give this a second shot, Brother Dan? No, we can't. Now, we'll have about 20 times in the fall and the spring and early in the morning we're going to teach systematic theology. But I, I just can't miss this opportunity with you. I have you for just a few short minutes. And I think my great travesty would be to tell you a lot of stories and make you laugh and make you pretend that everything is okay and you go out in the world and you you think, wait a minute, things aren't okay. So today I want to feed you the Word of God. Are you up for this? If you're you're happy and you know it, say amen, say something. i I got to look out there and make sure y'all are alive. All right, so let's look at it. First of all, we're going to talk about suffering saints. Peter says in verse 1, therefore... Whenever there is a therefore in the Bible, we need to know what it is there for. And it goes back to verse 18. Christ suffered for our sins, the just for the unjust, in order that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh. Listen to that. Put to death in the flesh, made alive by the Spirit. What Peter is saying is Christ has suffered. Suffering was an integral intrinsic part of living for Jesus Christ. He was not exempt. God the Father did not 
allow him to say, well, I'll just allow you to be clipped out of this test. You don't have to do this. No, Jesus went right down into the deep, ugly, raw stench of death he experienced. And I would argue that Christ suffered more than any other human being who's ever suffered. I mean, he took upon the sin of the world. He was bludgeoned and beaten half to death, impaled upon a stick outside the gates of Jerusalem called a cross. He endured horrendous pain and agony as he suffered. And Peter says, remember that. Don't ever forget that, that the champion of our faith suffered. And listen, if he suffered, help me, you're going to suffer. Therefore, arm yourself. It's a powerful military verb. It's in this aorist imperative. This, pre, this, this verb means you yourself, I command you, be armed. Be ready. Don't pretend that this is not a reality. This is a reality. Christ suffered, and if you know Christ, watch this, and if you really walk with Christ, you too will endure pain and you will suffer. This is the only time this verb is used in the entire Greek New Testament. The word is hoplitso. And it means arm yourself. And I, I got a great definition here from one writer. He says, with the same determination and care that a soldier puts on his armor, Christians are to adopt Christ's attitude toward persecution and unswerving Resolve to do God's will, end of quote. Jesus said, whoever wants to come after me, let him do a few things. Anyone remember this? Let him deny himself, take up his what? His cross, and follow me daily. Now, here, here's really the gist of the sermon. If we really know Christ, and he suffered horribly in this world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, and if Jesus Christ endured this world and overcome it, then you and I must also endure this world, and we too will, by the grace of God, by the sovereignty of God, we will overcome. And we will live a life that are champions, bright, shining, radiant lights for Jesus Christ. And here's the, here's the purpose. Here's the grand missional purpose. We suffer, but we keep pressing on. We are laughed at by those who don't know Christ. We are ridiculed, and we are looked down upon, and yes, we are persecuted, but we do not retaliate. We love people in return. We give our lives to Christ, and in so doing, a lost, jaded, hurting world looks at us, and they ask, what do you have? What do you have that I don't have? And in those grand moments, we can tell them, we have Christ, and He enables us. He energizes us so that we can live for Him. In the band of brothers, true story, it's a group of soldiers, brave, courageous soldiers in World War II, the 101st Airborne. One of the young men was so concerned, he was so fearful, he was rendered, basically, he was rendered useless on the battlefield because he was so afraid he was about to die. Now, I don't judge him. I've never been to war. In fact, I've, I have yet to experience what many of you have already experienced. I tell you, the older I get, the more and more I appreciate the senior saints of God, those in their 70s and their 80s and their 90s 
who have experienced just about everything that the world can throw at them. Listen to this. And they don't become jaded. They don't get mad at God. They just trust God. They keep walking with God. I just want you to know, y'all are my heroes. You are a champion to me. Please don't stop. Please keep showing me the way to live for Christ. This soldier was so just incapacitated, he went up to a man by the name of Lieutenant Spears. And, mm, goodness. This lieutenant, he, <laughs> he didn't, can I say he didn't have a lot of compassion for the young soldier, but he did share a lot of truth with the soldier. And Lieutenant Spears said, young man, listen to me. You're too concerned with living. You think you're going to come out of this alive, and that's your problem. You need to go into this mindset knowing that you are going to suffer, and yet there's a very good chance you are going to die. So go ahead and die so that you can live and fight courageously. That is a powerful word. We as followers of Christ, by the way, we have died. Our lives are not our own anymore. We have been, mm, what Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. And yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so Peter says, reality, Christianity 101, Jesus suffered and so will you. So don't be so alarmed about it. In fact, in chapter 4, verse 12, he says, don't think it's strange. Don't think this is some spiritual anomaly. Listen to this. Don't think you did something wrong because you are experiencing pain and suffering and ridicule. And, and maybe you're being passed over in your job or maybe your family, they look at you like you're just some crazy person out of Mars somewhere. And Peter says, don't think that's strange. A very real, integral, dynamic part of living the Christian life is you will suffer. It is a reality. He says in verse 1, he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Some people interpret that to mean that the person has died and he's gone on to heaven and therefore he doesn't battle with sin anymore. And I don't think that's the best interpretation. One writer put it this way, and I agree with him. He says, what Peter emphasized was that those who commit themselves to suffer and they willingly endure scorn and mockery for their faith, they show that they have triumphed over sin. No, they are not perfect, but they are remarkably different. Can I, can I say that again? Whew, that's good. No, we are not perfect, but by God's amazing grace, we are remarkably different from the lives of the unbelievers in the Greco-Roman world, and we would say even in our own world. In verse 2, he says, Let us do this, that he no longer should live the rest of our time in the flesh for the lust of men, but that we should live for the will of, of God. That, that word that he should no longer live the rest of his time. In verse 2, there, there are two Greek words for time. There's the word kairos, which means a quality of time. And there, there is this word chronos, help me, where we get the word chronology, and that is literal time. He says that the moments that you have as a Christian, guys, listen to this. This is so deep and so powerful. If you really understand Christ and you embrace him, know this, that you will suffer, and know this, you will be ostracized and also know this, you're going to be tempted to go back to the lifestyle that you used to live 
And Peter is begging them. He is pleading with them. Listen, with all that is within me, as your pastor, as your apostle, Peter would say, don't do that. Lift up your eyes. Christ, he is worthy. Christ, he is awesome. And he died for you so that you would live for him in this present age. Did you hear the passion do you hear the pathos of Peter? And, and I just hear it transcend through time as the, uh, the Holy Spirit is telling us in Great Hills in Austin. Yes, you're going to suffer. Yes, it's going to be a, a harsh and hard at times. But the Holy Spirit is with us. And the church of God is with us. And we are uh, in the majority. I, I wonder sometimes, this is, this is a hard word. Let me take a glass of water before I say something. I was praying with those guys in the back, and I don't know. I just said, you know, guys, I, some of the things I'm going to say today, they're hard, and I just want to make sure that the text offends them and I don't offend them. Does that make sense? If God offends you, that's okay. I don't want to unnecessarily offend you. But I wonder, come Sunday... Half our church is empty at 11 o'clock. And I wonder, well, people, they say, Pastor, we're getting the last cup of coffee and we're fellowship and it's the only time we get to see each other. But I wonder if we were really living for Christ during the week and we were suffering. I mean, we were taking such a stand for him that come 11 o'clock, I mean, we are running in here. And we are like thirsty and we are hungry for God. And, and so that when the choir comes up, they tell me all the time, Pastor, I get really nervous for you at 11 o'clock. There ain't nobody here. I'm like, it's okay. They'll come in. And by 1130, most of them, you know, most of them are here. Can, can I just gently, pastorally come alongside you guys and say, could you get here just a little bit earlier? I mean, come expecting to meet God in worship. See, 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 uh, uh, I don't want to miss a thing, Brother Danny. Man, I don't want to miss a prayer. I don't want to miss a baptism. I don't want to miss a welcome. I don't want to miss anything because, you see, I've been, I've been living for Christ. And, man, I'm tired. And, man, I, I need to be with the people of God. And I'm just, I just feel emaciated and worn out. Oh, 11 o'clock could not come soon enough. Can, can I just ask you to join me and get here early and, and anticipate Meeting, meeting the Lord. I hope that's not too offensive or too difficult for you. Okay. By the way, it only gets more difficult, so stay with me. All right? So you're like, whoo, man. Best sermon ever heard in my life. Whoo, man. Thank you. Encourage me. No, it really will encourage you. If you stay with me through the end, it will encourage you. Peter says, let us be separate from the world. In verses 3 and 4, he said, listen, guys, we've done enough of these things. And I've, I've defined each one of those things. Listen to what they mean. He says, let us not be lewd anymore. Lewd means to be openly flagrant with sin, with no constraint, no remorse, no conviction. Lust means to long for that which is forbidden. That's obvious, isn't it? By the way, I'm in verse 3. That we did these things, but let us not do these anymore. Lewdness, lust, drunkenness. Does anybody not know what that means? Okay, good. You, you know what that means. Some of you say, well, you'd be surprised, Brother Danny, in a Baptist church. There have been a lot of drunkenness going on in the week. And that's true. A lot in here today had a little too much to drink. And don't, don't do that. There's no sense in doing that. God delivered you from that, okay? And God's got greater expectations for your life than to do these things we used to do 
before we met Christ. Revelries. What in the word is a world is a revelry? A revelry is an Olympic word. It it means to riot. It means to carouse. It means to engage in the Olympic behavior. True story. This word is extracted, extrapolated from the Olympic Games. And the more things change, the more they stay the same. The Olympic Games was very much a wild and raucous party. And Women's Fitness Magazine, there's a true story in this magazine, talks about what really happens at the Olympics. Drunken orgies is what happens in the Olympics. This is what this lady writes about in this. This Australian athlete says, there are 10,000 participants, there are 900 medals, only a tenth of the people. Most of the world looks at the Olympics as a three-week party. That is that word. And Peter says, y'all know what that means, but we don't do that anymore. Glory to God, we don't do that anymore. You know why? We met Christ, Jesus the Savior, the Messiah, has radically changed us and transformed us. I don't need no drunken orgies. I don't need to participate in that lifestyle in the world. God has saved me. Man, he has saved me, he has changed me, he has redeemed me, and I am different because of Christ. Because of Christ. Glory to God. He says, guys, we used to do these things. Let's don't do these things anymore. Drinking parties. The King James Version calls them banquetings. It just simply means too much to drink. He goes, let's don't do that. Man, we we have Christ. We have the living water. We we don't have to do that. We don't have that. And then he finally says, stay away from abominable idolatries. And then this word literally means to worship Bacchus. Bacchus is the Greek god of wine. And in fact, in New Orleans, they have a robe of Bacchus and Drew Brees was actually proud about wearing that robe as the MVP of the Super Bowl. There is literally a robe of Bacchus, and that is the Greek god of of wine and alcohol. And Peter says, guys, let's, let's don't do that anymore. Here's the deal. Why is he telling them that if some of them weren't already doing it? You see, they were. And Pastor Peter says, guys, can I just plead with you all to please live differently? Because Jesus is worthy and people are watching. In verse 4 he says, in regard to these things, your old running drinking buddies, they think it's crazy. I'm giving a little Danny Forshee translation as I go, okay? They think you're crazy that you do not, watch this, run with them. In the same flood of dissipation. That's an interesting word. The flood of dissipation means to run headstrong toward, toward a, like a mad stampede, running toward pleasure-seeking. And he says, they think it's strange that you don't run with them anymore, and now they speak evil of you. Watch this. They think you're strange... And then number two, they say you're strange. It it always follows that. You take somebody who lives for Christ where you work, 
and you don't participate in their lifestyle, you don't go down to the, uh, uh, to the establishments, if you will, and that is so popular in Austin. To go to places where there's nudity and where there's drinking and where there's revelry, and there you are, you're a child of God. And you say, I don't have to go there. In fact, I really don't want to go there. And they look at you and they go, you're an idiot. Man, what has gotten into you? You used to go. And you used to go with us. What has happened to you? And you say, it's Christ. Jesus Christ has saved me. He's changed me. And they think you are strange, you're crazy. And the moment they turn their back on you, guess what they do? They tell everybody else how strange you are, how different you are. And here's what's really happening. You're convicting them. You're convicting them to the core. I was telling this precious teenager up in Delaware a couple weeks ago. and She, oh my goodness, guys, the things that we deal with today as adults. I mean, these kids, they're dealing with them at 10, 11, 12 years of age. And she goes, you know, I'm, I'm just having a hard time, Brother Danny. I, all my friends, they want me to do this. But I tell them, I can't do that because, because I'm following Christ. Would you pray for me? Man, what an honor to pray for her. Listen, what an honor. What an honor to pastor you. Because now in three years, you get me, and you get where I am going. And you know it is hard to be under my teaching and to live a life of compromise. Can I just tell you this? I am so very honored to be your pastor, and I am with you. And more than anything else, I want to honor the Lord, and I want to encourage you. I want to equip you God bless you, Kyle. There's a guy over here, y'all. He is doing the deal for Jesus. He's one of these young single guys who's sharp, and there's an avalanche of temptation that flows over him, and he stands for God. I didn't mean to single him out. Pretend you didn't hear his name. But I'm telling you, I want to pastor that guy, Andy. I want to come alongside him and say, Kyle, you can't do it. Don't. Ever stop. Keep living for Jesus Christ. Man, I tell you, this is my heart. This is my passion. Excuse me just a minute. If I could get away with it, I'd take this off. But that would be very ugly. Though I do have a t-shirt on. Separated from the world. You know, Jesus, when he got to this place in his ministry, when he started telling people, listen, I, yeah, I appreciate y'all coming, and I'm glad you got fed, and I'm glad you saw a few miracles, and it was pretty cool, right? But Jesus said, well, now let me tell you something. You follow me? You follow me? You will die. You will be hurt. You will be hated. And the Bible says at that time, the vast majority of the people, they left him. And John records the scene. Let's, let's read it. John chapter 6. From that time, many of the disciples went back. And they walked with Jesus no more. Guys, can y'all wrap your mind around that for just a minute? Jesus' church got a lot smaller. <laughs> 
He said, guys, I just want you to know something. I will die, and you will be persecuted. And I mean, people just started leaving him, and, and Jesus didn't go, whoa, 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 whoa. Man, whoo, hey, come here. I'm sorry. Come, come on back. I, I didn't mean that. I was just kidding. Don't, it's not going to be that bad. He didn't do that, did he? He didn't. He let them go. I don't know how I did that, but that scared me. Let me, let me walk around here this way, okay? And Peter and Jesus said, do y'all want to go? Do y'all want to leave? I can't read this verse. I just can't only read it. Because Peter said to the Lord, where are we going to go? <laughs> We've tried everything else. You're the only one that has the words of eternal life. What a powerful moment. It was that same Peter who wrote these words. I know some of you saints, you're going to suffer violently and horribly. You're going to be tempted to go back into your B.C. before Christ days where you ran in that flood of dissipation. Please don't do it because here is a sobering thought. There is coming a day of judgment. You see it? I'm just following verse 3. I'm on, I mean, uh, point 3, I'm in verse 5. They're going to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. The Bible says in Hebrews 9.27, It is appointed unto man one time to die, and then there's the judgment. I believe every person that who is alive here today and who has died in history, they will appear before God and they will be judged. First of all, if the unbeliever will eventually appear in Revelation chapter 20 called the great white throne judgment. And people will give an account for their lives before they are thrown into the lake of fire because they rejected Jesus Christ. Now, by the way, if you're a Christian, don't worry about that. You're not going there. You're going, whoo man, I'm glad I don't have to go there. You don't. But you do get to appear before the Bema seat, the judgment seat of Christ, where you give an account and you receive your rewards. So Peter is just having this sobering moment saying, guys, don't think so temporally. Y'all with me? Don't think so temporally. Think eternally. I'm trying to remember how to pronounce their names. I've got it written down. Zokar Sarnev. He's the younger brother of Tamarin or Tamirian. The 26-year-old and the 19-year-old brothers who are at least accused of killing three people and maiming hundreds of others in the Boston Marathon bombing. It came out this week that the younger 19-year-old, as he was hiding in the boat in Boston, he thought he was going to die, and so he began to write his, his last words, and he was scribbling them on the inside of the boat in the backyard of the person's house. And he wrote these words. He said, This is for all the Americans and their military who are fighting my people in Afghanistan and Iraq. This is a jihad. This is a holy war. 
And I'm sorry, if you got hurt, that is collateral damage. Just a 19-year-old speaking, okay, writing these words. But then he also wrote these words. I do not mourn the death of my brother, for he is in paradise, and I will see him soon. But here's what's really going to happen. He's going to die, and he will face the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And there will not be 40 virgins waiting on him. There will be an awesome, holy God, and his name is not Allah. His name is Jehovah. And he is the eternal God to whom every soul must appear. And Peter says, remember that. That everyone living today and everyone who has died, they will all appear before the holy God. And then finally, Peter, he wraps this section up in verse 6. And I've called this a splendid thought. And he says in verse 6, and, and I just love the way he says it. He says, for this reason... For this reason that people are going to be judged, the gospel has been preached. And he's talking about to those who have died in the Lord. They, they heard the gospel, they believed, and they died. Many scholars believe that what Peter is talking about are martyrs. Those who literally died for living for Christ. They heard the gospel, they were born again, they were saved, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh. Watch this but they now live according to God in the Spirit. And I believe what Peter is saying here is this. You follow Christ, and when you die, you spend eternity with Him in heaven. I know it's hard, and I know you're going to have difficulty. I know you're going to be tempted to apostatize, if you will. I know you're going to be tempted to turn your back. But don't quit. Don't give up. Keep looking to Christ. What a splendid thought indeed that we have been judged in this world according to men of the flesh. But we will spend eternity with God in heaven. I love what D.L. Moody, the great evangelist in, the, in the 1899, he said these words. He said, one day you're going to read in the morning newspaper that D.L. Moody is dead. He said, don't believe it for a minute. He said, ah, at that moment, we'll be more alive than in any other time. In my life, for I will be with Christ. I'm going to skip a whole page here because i gotta, I got to wrap up. By the way, I have these manuscripts. If you want them, you can, you can get them on the website. But here's, here's what I want to say, and I'm, I want to be done. Saints are going to suffer. We have to separate, separate ourselves from this world. Because there is a sobering thought of judgment that is coming and a splendid thought. That with Christ, we win. And all of this took on a very personal dimension to me this week. As a, as a pastor, I participated in Marcelo Gonzalez's uh, funeral. And really, I, I'm sorry to even call that a funeral. That, that was more of a celebration. I, mean, I know many of you came, and it was just a, it was an amazing... I told somebody, I wish people would say half the things about me when I die than they said about that guy. I mean, just a real saint of the Lord. So I went from there, and I went and spoke, uh, Brother Ochester. I spoke to your namesake, namesake, the Ochester Learning Center. There were about 20 little graduates. And I had to get out of the world of, of mourning real quick and go to a world of celebration. 
And one of our church members picked up on, picked up on that, and I thought that was really cool. She goes, you know, it's kind of interesting. you got to go from one realm to the other realm very quickly as a pastor. She said, I, I, said, I appreciate that, and I'm, I'm praying for you. I said, well, I appreciate you even noticing that, because once I got to my office, I had two phone calls waiting on me. It's very seldom that I get a phone call from both my brothers in the same day, in the same, day same moment. And they were telling me that my uncle, my mother's brother, was near death. And sure enough, when I called my cousin, my uncle died. And then the next day, which to me is even harder, was the three-year mark of my youngest brother's fatal car crash that killed him. And then my mind raced back to Sunday on Mother's Day, which I could not, like many of you, could not call my mom and, and speak to her. And there was just this, there was just this avalanche of emotion. Where all of this in the Bible quit becoming theory and theology and doctrine. And it all came to a point of reality for me. And it's almost like God was saying, will you trust me? Will you trust me? So guys, I I don't know. The older I get, the more transparent I'm becoming in who I am as as a person, as a preacher. I just want you to know. I, too, go through moments of difficulty and, and, and doubt. And I tell people all the time, were it not for the Holy Spirit and my wife, I don't know what would become of me. But they and you, many of you, you encourage me. You pray for me. And this pastor sitting on here in the front row, would, I think he would absolutely agree that we're very human. And we, we also need encouragement. We need people to come alongside us and say, keep going, keep going. You can do this. And so here I stand before you today saying, it's all true. Everything God said is true. Trust Him. It's worth it. Walk with Him. Resist the temptation. Because there's coming a day. Oh, and here's the song. I'm going to close with the song. Y'all ready? What time? I have no idea. It's 12.15. Mercy. I'll bet some of y'all know this song. Why don't y'all stand with me, please? Go ahead, y'all stand up. We're going we're gonna to sing a song together. <laughs> Say, yeah, you, good luck with that, brother. I don't know if I'm going to sing with you or not. All right, listen to this. I thought about this song this week as I was, was kind of walking through the valley of the shadow of death and the death of loved ones. <clears throat> Man, I don't even know where to begin. There is coming a day. When no heartache shall come, no more clouds in the sky, no more tears to dim the eye, all is peace forevermore on that happy golden shore. Come on, what a day. What a day, glorious day that will be. Now, the, the, the chorus goes something like this. It says, what a day that will be. When my Jesus I shall see, and I look upon his face, the one who saved me, help me, by his grace. And when he takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land, what a day, a glorious day that will be. There'll be no sorrow there, no more burdens to bear, no more sickness, no more pain. No more parting over there, and forever I will be 
with the one who died for me. What a day, glorious day that will be. Let's sing it again. What a day that will be when my Jesus, when my Jesus I shall see. When I look upon his face, I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace. And he takes me, and he takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land. What a day. Glorious day that will be. Oh, listen to this. And it all will be worth it on that day. Man, hallelujah. What a Savior. Woo! Thank you, Lord. We're going to have a time of prayer and just ask the Lord his favor upon our invitation as we're preparing this this moment where we are just pleading with you, my friend, if you don't know Christ, if there's never been a time in your life where you surrendered your will to His, I invite you to do that this very moment. Would you ask the Lord to save you? Would you ask the Lord to change you? And I promise you, my friend, He will. If you will believe, if you will only believe and give your heart to Christ, He will do miracles in your life. And many of you are here today, and you are Christians, and you love the Lord. But you know that the lust of the flesh is still very, very tantalizing. And I know a few moments ago, because it got deathly quiet in here, when I was talking about some things that we gave up, some of you are going back to it. Can I just, can I just plead with you and, and beg of you, please don't hear me that I'm judging you or that I'm, I, I think I'm better than you. It's none of that. All I'm doing is saying, please walk with the Lord. Ask Him to forgive you. Ask Him to fill you with His Holy Spirit. Ask Him, just say, God, I'm sorry I blew it. Help me not, do, let me not blow it again. Help me, to, help me to be faithful. Help me to be a shining light for the gospel. Some of you are here today, and, and you're thinking, man, I tell you, I need this church. I need to be accountable. Man, I need the hard sayings of Scripture. And I, I, this is the place that God is leading me and my family. I want you to know something, friend. We invite you to come. We are not perfect. And we still struggle, but by God's amazing grace, we are going to be victorious and we're going to walk with Him in this world. And then what a day, glorious day, that will be when Jesus will see. So if you're here today and you have a decision, a spiritual decision to make, we, we invite you to come. In fact, after I pray, I, we're going to have pastors and ministers and, and we'll go a little bit late today, but we, we want you to come and just say, man, this is the church for me. Or I need to meet the Lord, or I need to, and I just need to ask the Lord's forgiveness and ask for his help today. Father, we do thank you for your word, and we thank you, God, that, that living the Christian life is not easy. It was never meant to be easy, but it was meant to be very, very fulfilling and very challenging. And Lord, not a one of us, this preacher, pastor, definitely included, we can't do this on our own, God. We absolutely need you. We need you, Holy Spirit, to live in us and live through us. We need you, God, even now to forgive us. Forgive all of us of our sins this very week, God, where we have failed you and we have disappointed you. So, Lord, thank you for forgiving us. And now, Lord, I pray that you would draw people to your church. I pray, God, for a senior adult couple that is here today, for a single adult or maybe a young married couple that, God, you've put our church upon their hearts. And may they come today and say, this is my church. This is where God would have me to be. 
And so, Lord, we love you. We're just looking forward to the many wonderful ways you're going to work in our church even now. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Terry's going to lead us in our song and our pastors. And we've got some counselors up here at the front. Man, we would be honored, honored just to pray with you uh, and to encourage you. So God bless you as you come.